Welcome to Digging Deeper in Grace, a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Our goal each episode is to dig deeper into the scriptures with a focus on our most recent sermon. And now let's dig deeper. Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, and very pleased today to welcome John Wood to the table for today's discussion. John presented his sermon this past Sunday at Grace Baptist Church for our consumption and our joining in as a church, and that's in our continuing study of the book of Exodus. And specifically, we focused on commandments 5, 6, and 7 in Exodus chapter 20, verses 12 through 14. So, John, thanks for taking the extra time to share with us today. It's great to have you with us. It's an honor to be here, Bart, and uh, very thankful for the opportunity to uh, reflect on the truth of God's Word with you. Well, I know that you have a uh, have experience in preaching, and i got to think, I, I'm pretty sure it's not always easy to jump in on a one-off type basis where you're jumping in and kind of picking up and trying to keep the momentum. did a great job. We really appreciate all you've presented with us. Uh, thanks for your encouragement there, and it was a privilege to be a part of the series and, and part of what our preaching team and Pastor Tim especially are doing so faithfully and walking through Exodus in this season. Okay, you ready to dive in? Let's go. Let's go. Well, John, you reminded us uh, that God's opening comments to Moses and when he identified himself as Jehovah God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and that kind of set the stage for the giving of the Ten Commandments and... I'm going to suggest all the law, really. I mean, not just Absolutely. the Ten Commandments. So uh, it really gets at the importance of our reminding ourselves regularly of what God has done for not only our favorite Bible individuals, or we'll call them characters for lack of a better term, but also we need to be rehearsing what He's done for us. Yeah, there's no doubt. And what I find is that uh, human beings, we are inherently tied towards creating our own value, worth, identity, and self-justification. And so what we can do when we read the law and think about the Old Testament in particular is think that what it was under the Old Covenant was somehow some system of you know, keeping these rules for the sake of earning God's favor. And I think God has been very clear throughout the scriptures from the front cover to the back cover, and particularly here in Exodus, to show us, no, this is about a merciful God initiating salvation for his people. And that goes against how we're wired as human beings in our fallen natures. And so I, I just don't think we can re-emphasize enough the clarity of the mercy of God for Wait. us as sinners. And I want to I want to get into two things you said, and I hope I can remember the second one after I say the first one. That's slipping on my in my mind sometimes. But first of all, you, you talked about the uh, importance of uh, reminding God's reminding the people of what He had done for them right. and how that was so important. And as I say, important for us to remind ourselves what God has done for us. But it helps us to remember that God is in fact able. That's right. Yeah. And so all along the way, uh, throughout the scriptures, right, so many things about God and his word are meant to reinforce uh, what he's been saying and doing all along. And even when you get to Romans chapter 15, Paul's comment about the Old Testament and about the law in particular is that these things are written for our instruction so that we would have hope. And so all along the way, this this kind of ministry of reminding 
is is really one where we always want to look for what's new. What do I need to latch onto that I don't already know? And so many times, at least in my life, what I find is that uh, I need to just hold fast to the things that have been taught to me that I've grounded my life to this point and that God has not changed. And because he has not changed, he's a sure foundation and God's word is designed to bring us back to that over and over and over again. Sandy and I were reminding ourselves, reminding each other just yesterday morning, remember what God has done here. Remember right. what God has done here. That's right. We're waiting on some answers to prayers in other areas, but if he is faithful then, that's right. every reason to expect and, he's going to be faithful. And this right. is maybe just a little bit off topic from where, where we're headed overall, but... We but, go off topic all the time, oh, John. Oh, I love it. Yes. That's, I live my life off topic sometimes, <laughs> I think. But that, that really is the value of Christian community. That's why we are designed as Christians to live life in the body of Christ, in the church, because we all have spiritual amnesia, and we need each other to say, remember what God did there. Remember what God did back when. Remember when he was faithful here. Remember what God's word says over here, right? And when we have that chorus of voices in our lives, uh, our amnesia is is really tamped down and we're able to keep clarity on what God has said. So yeah, community is immensely important for our perseverance as believers. The struggle is real. That's yeah. right. Absolutely. Well, and then that second thing I did, I wrote it down so I would remember, and that is the idea that you talked about it, it being a system of, of works. Right. That's, a, that's something not only the Old Testament individuals are, those who are under that Old Testament law were uh, so prone to. It's something that we are prone to, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, right? And so when we see Jesus uh, at many points confronting the Pharisees for their distortion of the law of Moses, because they turned it in many ways into a system of self-righteousness, uh, we see that. Or I think of Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, not as a result of works, right? And so even inherent to the gospel, the saving message of the work of Christ, that our response is one of faith, and we're only saved by placing our trust in Christ, that then uh, it's it's not a system of work. So yeah, we, we're in some ways have an inherent wiring or almost uh, an addiction towards creating our own self-righteousness and playing a comparison game with other people or our society when really what defines us is our faith in Christ. Which, and that's not works. That's, that's what Christ has done in his work for us. And when we set ourselves up as the standard or others up the standard, who becomes God? That's right. right? Yeah, we're refashioning God in our own image exactly. when we do that. Good. Well, so let's move then to these specific commandments, uh, commandments five, six, and seven. They're the first three, and you made this comment, I believe, that what we would consider the horizontal commandments. I know you right. hit on this hard last week, too. That's right. Or man to man. And whereas the first four were more vertical, man to God. Right. You indicated there's more here than meets the eye. Maybe my words, but your thoughts. You talked about God's grand design throughout the whole of your sermon. Can you can you give us an idea? First of all, uh, what what exactly? How would you define just in a sentence or two God's grand design? Gotcha. Yeah. So what I was really pointing to and thinking of God's grand design is that these are not commandments. Just of okay, here's. Uh, here's things you you don't do and what's forbidden with a couple that are stated positively of here's what you do, right? But but really, this these are clues into the character and nature of God himself. And that God who uh, has that character and nature when he created, 
He created people in his image. Therefore, there is some uh, kind of inherent reflecting in humanity, in societies of God himself. And so what God is doing then this grand design is that there's a deep purpose behind these, these laws. So in honoring father and mother, right, just for one example, that the purpose there is that um, God's design is that he created family, first of all, to accomplish his salvation in one day, a baby being born and a savior, but also then what family represents in our time, in our society, is the opportunity to show the fatherly love of God through families living in union and harmony with one another. And that is a clue to the world around us. Hey, there's a God who exists and that God is a good God and he's a loving God because there's such a thing as loving fathers and mothers and children. So what you're saying, it sounds like as we look at the law and, and I think it's appropriate to say the law is kind of uh, consolidated into those Ten Commandments. It's kind of a synthesis or a, a compacting of the law. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that's the way you see remember. those Ten Commandments right. or or in the Hebrew Scriptures and in, in the Jewish tradition. They're called the Ten Words. Right. Right. And summarized that way. Uh, really, in that way, the, the these Ten Laws, which are also connected to a whole lot of other laws, as you keep reading sure. in the Old Testament, uh, that really they, they are the hooks. They are the, the framework that God is giving in this covenant moment that is relational, but to say, yeah, here's, here's a framework for how you think about things. And of course, this is not just a low bar of, okay, here's, here's the things you need to keep and do, but this is so much more than that. God just doesn't want people just to not murder one another. He's, he's saying there is a whole way of living where you view people the way I view people, which is as my image bearers, which impacts everything you do from your speech, your thoughts, your attitudes. Uh, if you're a businessman in business, how you're going to treat people as employees or even as customers or clients. All of that is influenced by what's summarized there in Do Not Murder. Um, as a reflection point of, of the image of God in other people. So we, by looking at the Ten Commandments, if we really get down into the, the background of them and what, we, and what you talked about in your sermon, uh, we're not only understanding more about what's right and wrong, we're understanding God himself. That's right, yeah. And, and that is one of the great traditions of studying the Ten Commandments is that theologians through the ages— have, have really tried to show and make the argument that, yeah, the, these commandments point to a personal God who's behind them all. And that when we see them and live faithfully in them, just like it started in Exodus 20, where God says, I'm the Lord, your God. Well, it's us fellowshipping. It's, it's, our, it's our way. It's our means of experiencing that oneness with our God as he's designed it. Uh, which is a beautiful thing, because uh, we get God himself in the process. And so, John, it wouldn't be too far of a reach, I don't think, to say as we read all of the Old Testament, even those lists in Numbers, for example, even that shows us who God is. Well, absolutely. The mundane, silly stuff that we don't want to read. Sure. Yeah, and, and thinking in terms Silly of... Silly in quotes, by the way, in case you're listening. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so when we think about even the, the breadth of other laws in the Old Testament, and that really goes back to something Pastor Tim said last week, where he, he used a, a diagram up on the screen and, and, and showed how Christ has an influence on the law, and some things he extends the application of, some things are abolished in the law, right? And, and really what those 
laws are showing us is that they're not just a bunch of arbitrary rules that Israel had to follow, but they were things that were designed to make Israel distinct, show that Israel was God's people in a countercultural way to the world around them, and that were all clues uh, that lead us to the nature and character of God himself. And so when we read the law, and, and sometimes the, the parts of our Bible that are the hardest to keep going with in our Bible reading plans, right, like Leviticus, Numbers, and so forth, well, what we're, we're really have to remind ourselves is that, no, this is, this is the beautiful textures of how God has shown us who he really is. And so it's worth spending time there and, and seeing how it's framed in the big picture of the Bible. Great, great. Well, we went back and forth a lot on Sunday between Exodus chapter 20 and Matthew chapter 5, and they're somewhat parallel passages that we can say. We have a series of six statements there in Matthew chapter 5 that Je- where Jesus follows the pattern. You have heard that it was said, and for example, you shall not commit a murder, commit murder. But I say to you that even if you have anger, hate in your heart, then you've already committed murder. So uh, this goes back to something we talked about a few weeks ago here on the podcast as we, we consider that a, a successful Christian life is less a matter of what we do and don't do and more a matter of who we are. Obviously, what we do is important because it reflects what's in our hearts. But in other words, it, it's more about what we think and why we do what we do. Your thoughts on that? I think that's exactly right. And I think what Jesus is doing there with these commandments, particularly two of which were relevant to to my sermon of you shall not murder and you shall not commit adultery, is that Jesus is showing that, that what God has been about all along is relating to his people and his people knowing how to relate to God's holiness, which we cannot naturally do because we are unholy. And so even when Jesus, at the start of Matthew chapter 5, in the start of the Sermon on the Mount, he opened his mouth. This is Matthew 5, verse 2 and following. It says he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In some ways, I think that's similar to when God says in Exodus chapter 20, You shall have no other gods before me. Hmm. The ones who have no other god before him, they recognize they need God as God. Those of us who are poor in spirit recognize that we do not supply our own spiritual merit and worth in and of ourselves. We need that from God through his work in Christ. And so I think that uh, as we think then about, okay, what is the Christian life? It's not a set of duty and rule keeping and those sorts of things. It starts with what Christ has already done for us. And then we are walking in fellowship with God, or to use Jesus' words, we're abiding with him. And of course, that calls us to a high standard of holiness because we're in union in our salvation with God himself. And we're back to that same old thing, just like in Exodus 20, where how does a holy God come in union with an unholy people? And just like he did it in Exodus 20, it was made perfect and full in Christ in the He's the fulfillment of the law, according to Matthew 5. So therefore, we're not bound to earning our spiritual merit and favor before God the Father as Christians by our performance. That's already happened. He's already put his favor and affection on us, so we can then just walk faithfully with him in that, in the security of that, which is a beautiful thing. So, so in your daily life, you deal a lot with students, college students. Right. So let's just say a high school, college student comes to you. They're learning this, that it's not just what I do. I mean, it's, listen, the bar is pretty low if it's just you shall not commit murder. For many of us, right. you shall not commit adultery. Relatively easy relative to the idea of not even 
thinking bad thoughts or hating somebody, not lusting after what you want, whatever it might be, sexually or otherwise. Right. How should these realizations affect that student's daily life patterns? And let me tell you, we all know it's not just students. It's those in our 40s, in our 50s, you and me, That's right. and anybody else. Sure. So we never outgrow this. So the advice I give to students is the same advice that I should be preaching to myself in the mirror every morning. Right? And so to me. And, and to you. Sure. Right. And which it goes back to the value of Christian community. Uh, I have a, a few thoughts then on, on yeah, what, what do we do with that? What do I say to that student and, and what do I say to myself in that? And it, it starts with, first of all, reminding ourselves of the gospel. So anytime we start to think that what I'm doing, the way I'm living, uh, am I successfully carrying out the Christian life or not? And if I have some sense or feeling that that makes me a better person and a better Christian, I'm inherently slipping into a works-based righteousness. And that happens many times subconsciously for us. So what, what do we do about that? Well, we, we remind ourselves of the, the truth of the gospel. Um, I remember reading a Jerry Bridges book, Once Upon a Time. And uh, Jerry Bridges is the master saying, preach the gospel to yourself on a regular basis. Right, and what that means is to to remind ourselves that no, I'm a sinner, and in all the depth of my sin, the only thing that makes me right and gives me access to the Father today, is the work that Christ did on my behalf, and that He is my only hope. And then, therefore, it's not anything I'm going to do that's going to make God like me more or less today. He He's already given me the fullness of His love, so my response then is to then wholeheartedly pursue after Him based on what he's already done for me to enjoy the level of fellowship I can have with God. And so I think that rightly preaching the gospel to ourselves on a regular basis is in our own heads. We ought to be talking to ourselves constantly, reminding ourselves of the truth of the gospel, and then saying, so I get to fellowship today, right? Bart, as you go to work, you get to spend time in the spirit who indwells you fellowshipping with God whatever your workday holds for you. Same for me. As a college student is going to class, as a high school student is going to football practice or cross-country practice this week, right? That, that those are moments where we're living those with the fullness of God in our lives and we are filled with the fullness of satisfaction in Him and we get to live that out, which creates obedience in our lives. So we get to obedience, but that obedience is downstream from the work God has done already and the affections and desires we have for him. And our <clears throat> working out our own salvation with fear and trembling, as Paul puts it there in Philippians, uh, of course, that's not saying that we are in charge of it and we need to just be better. It's meaning that we need to do what you're saying, prep. You, know, you talk about Jerry Bridges, and, right. and you look across the table, and I look just to my right, we see a book, The Practice of Godliness by great Jerry. Book. Great book. Absolutely. And the I believe predecessor to that, the pursuit of holiness. Two books, uh, and these are books back in the '80s, as I recall. I remember I read them in the mid '80s. Right. But the point being that part of that work, that hard work of of uh, trans transformation and not compromising to the world standards, is what we fill our minds with. Isn't That's it? right. That's right. Yeah. So preparing well and preparing for the football practice or the classes or the things that you don't know are coming. Right, yeah. I would encourage you know folks to go and read Colossians 3. And you see this framework in that chapter in the Bible because it starts in verses 1 through 4, reflecting on the work Christ has done. 
talking about how we set our minds on the things that are above because we are already in Christ and we are hidden with Christ in God. And it's all about what God has already done to save us. But then Paul goes on to give some instructions or some commands. Mm -hmm. And those start with stop doing certain things. He says, put off, (laughs) right? Starting in verse five. And he lists things uh, like anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk and so forth. And then you get to verse 12, and he says, put on these things. And he talks about love and forgiveness and those sorts of things. And so that framework is is what I'm talking about there, where we start with the work Christ has done for us. Then the outflow of that is that we are then walking in obedience in him, which means we put off certain things, we stop doing certain things, and then we lean into living life in a Christ-like way, which is putting on certain things. And can I even amend what you're saying? One of the things he states there in verse 12 is, put on, therefore, as the God's chosen ones, holy and dearly beloved, recognizing who you are. You are a royal priesthood. Moses, uh, God tells Moses uh, in Exodus chapter 20, we see that in throughout, but you know, Peter says it, for example, in the New yeah. Testament, but we need to recognize, you know, know who you are, know what your last name is. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Heavenly. That's, that's Good. great. Well, uh, John, Paul points out in Ephesians 6, and this is kind of interesting little uh, tidbit that I just I was thinking about last night as we was preparing here. Points out there in Ephesians six that the fifth commandment is the only command with a promise. He calls the Israelites, of course, to honor your father and mother, and then he says that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God gave you. Now, if I were a betting man, and I'm not, but if I were a betting man, I might expect that to be attached maybe to the first commandment. You know, you should have no other gods but me. Right. Why do you think God put that with that commandment, Father? Sure. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great point. And, and and Paul's use of this commandment here, also when he says that honor your father and mother is first command with a promise. This also shows us obviously Paul's thinking is not that keeping commandments is going to create your righteousness before God, because that's not what he goes on to to tell them to do. Right in Ephesians, he's already said you're already saved in chapters one and two. Right now, why why does this particular commandment have this promise with it? Well, I think it ties back to what I called in my sermon divine common sense in a way, and what I was trying to communicate there is lacking in many cases. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right, but but yeah, the 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 what God was doing in forming a nation at that point in His redemptive plan was that He was going to use a family through Abraham and his offspring to grow into a mighty nation. That mighty nation was going to dwell in a land which was what God's initial purpose was in the Garden of Eden, and he's restoring people to a land. And by the way, our hope is one day we'll live in a new heavens and a new earth, a literal land, a renewed creation with God. And that the third part of that, that promise was that there was a blessing. And so what God is saying here is in a very practical way almost, like you're not going to survive and live long in a land if families that are supposed to inherit this land and possess it and pass it down generation to generation, if that system breaks down, well, that's God's design for how he's going to deliver this salvation in the form of blessing to these people. So in that sense, it's, it's, it's a spiritual thing, obviously, because God designed it, but it's also very earthly in a sense, because we're just talking about families and how families relate, particularly at that point in God's plan in Israel's history. And so it's a beautiful reminder 
that God is transcendent and he's not like us and he's spiritual and he's mysterious. And also God's very near and he's so near that his instruction even tells us how to walk in his pathways and succeed in him in very basic ways as simple as here's how families relate so that they can continue to experience my blessing. And perhaps important that this is really this first horizontal uh, man-to-man type command and that he right. starts with the family. And if the family isn't right, That's the society right. is So like, there's the whole basis for what God's doing redemptive plan-wise. and There's the whole basis for what he's saying on a, on a macro level of here's how humanity can relate to one another and rightly reflect my image and enjoy my blessing as societies in general, not just the people of Israel, but to, to some degree reflecting the, the blessings of, of, of society rightly framed around God's grand design. And we don't have to look too far, do we, to see this playing out in the negative. Sure. Our culture, let's just call it our American culture in general, but in certain pockets of our American culture where the breakdown of the marriage and the breakdown of the relationship between children and parents, especially when a parent isn't there, one or the other, causes great problems in the society at large. There's a whole other sermon I could have preached and wanted to preach, and I'll try to not make this podcast that sermon, <laughs> right? But but there's a whole other approach. Just as you're pointing out, these three commandments are incredibly countercultural today. And by the way, if I can interrupt you, yeah. if if we had video, you would have seen John sit up straight in his chair. He got a second win. There now. you go, get me fired up, right? <laughs> uh, so right, these commands are countercultural in the sense that what is our cultural doing? Culture doing well. There's such a self centeredness that that family itself is no longer even a foundational forum of love and acceptance or care for one another. And that murder, because life is devalued through all kinds of means where uh, the protection of life is just not assumed. And then, of course, the, the, the marriage and that being viewed as by God's design uh, all the way from just um, the impact of the sexual revolution all the way to just LGBTQ plus impacts on how our society is viewing marriage. All of that speaks to, man, God had a plan. That plan is departed from. And so here's our opportunity as the church to stand distinct. And sadly, the darker the culture gets, which, which we don't want to see happen, but it's, it's, it seems to be the, the direction, that the darker the culture gets, just us being a light, we will stand more distinct because like Paul says in, um, in, in um, 1 Timothy 2, that, the, that we'll stand out like bright lights against the darkness of the night sky. And when we can do that as Christians, then it opens up the way for us to influence and impact the culture around us. John, it seems to me, as I'm thinking about what you're saying, that there's there may be somebody listening who says, you know, okay, honor your father and mother, and I wouldn't want my kids to do that, but they don't have a father here, or they don't have a mother here, or dad is just not engaged spiritually like I wish he were, or yeah. mom isn't engaged spiritually like I wish she were. Speak to that situation. I think we, we have a... Well, let's, you go ahead and speak to it. Maybe sure. I have a couple comments later. But Yeah, I think that's a great question to point out, Bart. And, and what I would say is, is that it is possible in some measure for anybody to honor father and mother, whatever those circumstances may be. And so I myself come from a broken home and from a non-believing family. 
And even in that, there are ways that I still honor my father and mother by giving them time and attention. As I talked about how there's many ways we can apply this, uh, I seek to do that. Now, of course, there's also ways in which um, it looks different because of uh, the way, as I would expect, a believing child towards a believing family and parents to work that out versus an unbelieving. There might be some different boundaries or patterns that are part of it. And so particularly those who maybe don't have a parent in the picture, divorce has impacted them and so forth. I think um, that starting with just the recognition of whatever the pain and the hurt that is there, there might be a legitimate need for some boundaries, but also Look for the ways, how can I positively display the love of God through um, acknowledging that these are still my parents um, and that uh, how I reflect on, speak about them and those sorts of ways that my thoughts and attitudes would still be pointing and glorifying the Lord. Good. And and seeking help from other parents, other individuals Absolutely. who can stand in, and also yeah. maybe the, the young people, whether they're young people who are in high school, college, or 40-some years old, uh, who need to reach out and just fill in some gaps with Absolutely. some others from the church. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ. Again. And I can testify to that even personally in my life, the importance of people who stepped in as models uh, in certain seasons. And that's, that's why we are here as a church. And we ought to look for that opportunity, particularly in young people around us Good, uh, and in our community as a Great. church. Great. John, thanks so much for joining us. We're out of time, but I uh, really appreciate you coming in and sharing with us. It was an absolute joy. And um, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to have uh, fellowshiped with our church through the, the preaching of the word last week and uh, very grateful for what the Lord's doing here at Grace Baptist Church and to, to be a part of it. Well, a big thanks to John Wood, my guest for this week's episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. We've been discussing his recent sermon from Exodus chapter 20, and you can access Grace sermons and podcast episodes on demand by visiting gracecedarville.org on the World Wide Web and clicking the media tab. We also encourage you to share your questions and comments with us each week by emailing them to contact at gracecedarville.org. That's contact at gracecedarville.org. And plan to join us next week. We'll continue our discussion of God's Word as Tim Cockrell leads us through the final three commandments in Exodus chapter 20. And until we meet again, I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, thanking you for tuning into this week's episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. Digging Deeper in Grace is a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Visit us online at gracecedarville.org and join us next time as we continue our discussion. In the meantime, we invite you to continue digging deeper in grace as you read God's Word.